talks right here. We gon' talk about it right here. I'm gonna talk about everything you like. I'm gonna make it real, real quick. Cause it's an A talk. And I'm gonna talk about it. Yeah, cause it's an A talk. And I'm gonna talk about it. And welcome to the Tanae Talks podcast, the podcast that educates and entertains, the podcast where you come to laugh and learn. I am your host, Tanae. So if you haven't done so already, make sure you like, share, and subscribe on all streaming locations, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, YouTube. I am so excited. Excited to have today's guest. Not only is she beautiful, but she's also an author, a motivational speaker, and she has an incredible story to share about her journey from foster care to adoption to finding her birth mother and also birthing her own uh, foundation to help children who are once like her that are still in the foster care system who need extra motivation, support, and encouragement. So without further ado, i like to welcome the beautiful Cheryl Guyant to Tanae Talks. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. How are you today? I'm wonderful. The sun is shining. It's fall. Fall is becoming like my new favorite season. Yes. It used to be summer, but now it's fall. What's your favorite yes. season? Fall. Fall? Fall as well. Yes. It's summer all, all year long here in Florida. So mm -hmm. in the fall, we kind of get a little break. So I love that. The same thing with Texas. If we had like three months from June, literally to probably like three weeks ago, of uh, three digit uh, heat waves. It was like yes. 107 degrees every day. So now it's fall. And, you know, you and I are both Michigan girls. Yes. And so yes. there's nothing like a, a fall in Michigan. It's it's unbeatable. I don't care where you go in the world. Unbeatable. The cider, the donuts, the leaves, you just, you can't get it anywhere. You can't get it anywhere. And to have like a little piece of home, yes. I actually bought me some apple cider from Walmart the other day. I just forgot <laughs> to get my cinnamon donuts, but that's next on my list. Got to have that apple cider. I go home every fall to get some. You got to. Yes. So my guest today, I want you to know that Cheryl, she's going to tell you a little bit about her story, but Cheryl wrote a book called as you can see it here, I don't know if you can see it, the, the light might be too bright, um, but it's called A Letter from Sherry. And it's about, um, it's a fictional story, but based on real life events about Cheryl's mother, Cheryl, <laughs> as well. Mm -hmm. She's named after her birth mother. And it is, when I say an incredible story, the thing that stuck out to me, Cheryl, is when you said, my mother never stood a chance. Mm -hmm. And when I read her letter, truer words have never been written or spoken when you said that your mother didn't stand a chance from the things that she uh, went through. Yes. For those who don't know, um, Cheryl's going to get into it, but her mother, her birth mother, was murdered by two serial killers. One's name was Leonard Lake and the other one was Charles Ning, N-G. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Ning. that Yes, like I-N-G, Ing, I-N-G. Okay, Ing. Charles Ing, yeah. 
Charles Ng, and Charles Ng is still on death row. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't mind, just go ahead and kind of tell us how you found out about your birth mother and also how the interesting story about how you found out you were adopted because my guests may not know, I am aware of Cheryl. I, she was introduced to me as Auntie Cheryl because her niece was my roommate in college. And the incredible thing about Cheryl is if you see her adoptive mother and family, she fits right in. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? You look right genetically like them, but you yes. also look like your mother. So go ahead. Go ahead and tell us your story. Okay. So I found out. I was adopted when I was about nine years old in a very unconventional way. Um, my adopted grandmother kind of blurted it out to me um, after I was asking her a question about my little brother. I had a little brother who we knew he was adopted and he would tell everyone he was adopted, all of our friends. And so I would tell him, don't tell people that. At the time, I didn't know that I was adopted as well. So I asked my grandmother one day, um, why did Caleb tell all the kids he was adopted? And she said, well, you were adopted too. And I was not prepared for that. So I kind of internalized that. Um, I was, I became afraid because my mother was a foster mom. So she had kids in and out of the home. And when you're nine, you don't understand adoption versus foster. So now I'm thinking, okay, this lady who comes and shows up at the door with her bag and her clipboard, you know, coming to pick kids up or drop, dropping them off. Now does that, am I gonna be, that gonna be the case for me one day? So my behavior uh, began changing. I started to behave a little better than I probably was before. Um, and it just, it ruined my childhood. I didn't want to go to school anymore after that. I wanted my mom in my eyesight at all times. So I was constantly faking sick. You know, I just didn't want to be away from my mom. So it kind of ruined my childhood and I, I dealt with that internally because I didn't want to ruffle any okay. feathers or break any hearts, even wanting to know what where I came from. So I kind of internalized that until I was about 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to, um, I needed more answers. So I went back to Grandma Joyce and um, she said, I said, Graham, because I could never refer to any to them as mom or dad. Yeah. Because I was so loyal to my family. And I said, um, what happened to the people who had me? And she told me, your mom's dead and your dad did it. And so it was I was shocked. And was like, OK. And I just I remember like yesterday, I just grabbed my bag and I went off to school. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and I was like, well, okay, great. My mother's dead. My dad did it. Then I really don't want to have anything to do with him if he's still alive. And so it was like a dead end and it was horrible. Yeah. So, and I'll say when I turned 18, I decided to ask my big sister. 
um, if she remembered anything about my adoption. And she told me that she remembered that something very, very bad happened to my mom and that it made the Grand Rapids newspaper. And it was very hush-hush around the house. Like none of the kids knew about it. And so I decided to pay a visit to the Grand Rapids library and go through microfilm at the time, you know, we didn't have the computer stuff. So it was microfilm. And I was just like looking for like titles of man kills mother of yeah. child or, you know, something. And I, I spent a lot of time there, but I, I didn't, didn't come up with anything. So December, December 16th, 2020, 2002, mm -hmm. my aunt found a picture of her and I when it was the last day of my adoption. Mm -hmm. and we took a picture together. She was 10 years older than me. Your, your bio aunt found this. My, yeah, my biological okay. aunt was doing some holiday cleaning and she came across a picture of her and I and it said, the Lowe family. And so she went down the phone book because of course we were still using phone books back then. Yeah. Um, and she found a family member who knew, you know, what the situation was. And she also knew that I had been looking for them. Mm -hmm. And so she reached out to me and said, your aunt is looking for, for you. And I was like, really? Mm -hmm. So that was exciting because I felt closer to, you know, some closure. Yeah. So I spoke with my aunt. She did confirm that my mom was in fact dead, but my father didn't do it. He actually, go ahead. You had a question? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This is so, I'm like, I'm enthralled into this mm -hmm. story. Uh, I want to go back a little bit about life before you knew. And you said it kind of shattered your world. Do mm -hmm. you wish at at some point during your lifetime that you wouldn't have known? At that time, I wish, I would have wanted to know mm -hmm. at some point in my life. I just don't think the way and the age that I was told was appropriate. Yeah, that that anxiety that you develop once you realize because you, were, you weren't aware of the adoption versus the foster care do you feel like you still carry that anxiety with you or what at what at what point in your life did that anxiety fall off from you or is it kind of still there um i think i think i have the closure i don't think the anxiety is really there anymore i think as an adult i have released it mm -hmm. Although it did, I did carry that with me for a very, very long time because I couldn't speak about it. You know, I never would voice it um, to anyone until maybe I probably was about in my early 20s was when I really admitted to someone and could even say I was adopted. Yeah. Because life before then was normal. Like I was the star of my family. Like I was loved. You know, Grandma Joyce was a little, she was mean, but, you know, grandmother sometimes can be mean. Yeah. But the love that I had, you know, from everyone else, because I was in a big family, it kind of outweighed that. I love that. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that 
as an adult, I was able to kind of release that once I was able to finally admit it to someone and say, yes, I was adopted. You know, I'm not really alone. I, I, I really very strong on my last name, very family oriented. And, and to have that taken away from me at such a young age, it was, you know, it was tough. But as an, as an adult, and I began to speak on it, it's therapy, you know, and it continues to be therapy for me as I, you know, speak and, and do these podcasts and interviews even today. I thank you so much for that. You talked about uh, going through microfilm at the library and I'm getting a little teary eyed because uh, my father was murdered when I was an mm -hmm. infant. And so growing up, it, it was always known. It was known that my father was murdered. It was talked about, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. a mystery. But the mystery for me was I had never saw a photo of my dad. Mm -hmm. So I used to ask my mom, like, was was there not a photo at on his obituary at the funeral? And she's like, you know, no, not that she remembers. So I remember going to the Flint Public Library and like you said, looking through the microfilm, yeah. like looking through like the murder mm -hmm. at that time, like surely his photo has to be in the Flint Journal, yeah. um, you know, and right. I, I never found it. And then when I was uh, 17, someone his ex-wife actually well actually no scratch that at 17 i ran across his ex-wife and not till i was 22 years old his ex-wife ended up providing me with a photo of him and i was oh. able to finally see him and mm -hmm. so for me when you're saying like your your bio aunt was able to provide you with this photo of your bio mom it gives you this type of closure because you always feel like, at least for me, I always feel like, who do I look like yes. besides these people that are in front of me? And that gave me closure to say, oh, I can see my lips in him mm -hmm. or I can see my eyes yes. in this person. So if you could go back to when you're saying, you know, you got this photo and, and that transforming part of your life for you moving forward. Yes. So when when she called me and started now 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 this imaginary person that i've always wondered about you know wonder who could it be like not having a clue and like you said i fit right into my family we were all colors you know we had light skin brown my dad was dark you know so i didn't feel like a misfit until i knew that I was a misfit, so to speak. Um, but it, she began to come alive once my aunt um, provided me the, the detective's name. She told me my mom was murdered. My dad was actually a pastor in Battle Creek, Michigan. And, um, and she gave me the name of the detective that was the lead detective on that case. So I reached out to him and he reached out, very, very nice guy, uh, very nice. The whole sheriff department is was excellent. I mean, 30 years later, they were still handling everything, you know, very sensitive, very kind. And so he was retired and he told me that he was going to 
pay a visit to the department and familiarize himself with my mom's part of the case. And so he did just that and he called me back that same week and he said, um, I have something for you. And I was like, what? And he said, I have an 11 page letter that we found at the scene of the crime that your mom wrote and she's talking about you. And I just froze on the inside. I couldn't even believe it. And he said, I have to get permission from the DA to release it to you along with some additional pictures that we have um, and I'll mail them to you. So he did that, but of course I asked him to read the letter before he hung up and he did he read that letter to me and she, like i said she began to come alive um once i got the pictures i just it was like i was in i felt like i was in a movie watching mm -hmm. a movie yeah you know i'm i'm a big lifetime fan so i was yes took me back to i was like this is like lifetime Yes. Movie stuff like who who finds out they are adopted and then their mom is a victim of this kind of heinous crime. Serial killing. Uh, uh, when me reading the like I have to as I was reading the letter that your mom wrote to you and she basically detailed her life. It's like mm -hmm. she knew within her hearts of hearts that eventually by the grace of God that this letter was going to get to you. She didn't know yes. how, yes. she didn't know when, but she said, I have to let my baby girl know, the baby girl exactly. that I did not want to give up. And every time I like got to a page, I would have to put it down because it became heavy for me. Mm -hmm. And I know that it had to be heavy for you just oh, to yeah. learn her journey and all of this. And, and through that, I could still feel the love in those pages. I can yes. still feel that young girl who was hurt, that yes. young girl who had was raised by an alco alcoholic parent herself, mm -hmm. who just also knowing a lot of, I, I deal with foster care as one of my part-time jobs. Um, I go into the home and to see if a home is stable enough for another, for the child to go into it once they had been taken from their parent. And a lot of those children, like you said, because at that age, you don't really know what's going on. They feel yes. unwanted and they yes. carry the burden of feeling unwanted and being placed in these homes. And they carry that for a lifetime. But when I read those pages, it was clear. Mama loved you. Yes. And so you had that comfort and that blanket and that security from this le this letter that traveled mm -hmm. through decades to finally get to you to know, you know what? My mom loved me. Yes. And that's and that's ultimately ultimately what I learned from that letter. And another thing um, that I had given her so much props for because I I received my adoption files, and because she was a ward of the state and 15 years old, um, everything that was going on with her was also in my files. So I learned that she had suffered incest at five from her father, you know, and all this physical and sexual abuse that was going on starting at five years old. So when she had me and they were trying to um, talk her into relinquishing her rights because she was too young, um, it was under the condition that they found either a biracial family or a black family. 
-hmm. and that she would not give me up if they wouldn't find a family to adopt me because she didn't want me to experience that racism. She didn't want me in an all white family. She needed me to be somewhere where people look like me. And I just think at 16 years old, for her to know that and realize that and make that decision, you know, I felt like, okay, now it's now I need to give back to her because she saved my life. Oh, you know, yes, she saved my life. She, y'all, y'all, my audience don't know, but the Lows are a, a great family. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. They are wonderful. The Lowe's, they are wonderful family, and. Like I said, I always knew Auntie Cheryl and, you know, yeah. my, my college roommate, you know, just always told me how fabulous she was. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, she's just mm -hmm. a mom. Yeah. <laughs> so your mom, your mom was incredible. You're beautiful like your mom, seeing her photos. Yeah. I want to talk about at the beginning of your book, you, uh, you, you quoted Tupac about a rose that grew from concrete. Do you feel like you're that rose? And do you feel like if your mom would have been planted in different soil, she could have bloomed differently? I feel like I'm that rose because it could have went, even though she requested that, and that was a condition for her, it didn't really have to go that way. And we know that, you know, once the state has possession of you, you know, they do what what is best for the child. So I feel like um, my life has it's just been in divine order. And I feel like I came into the world under the supervision of a lot of, of, of some ra of a racist family outside of my mom. You know, they they were racist. And the reason why I ended up in care is because my grandfather called, well, my step-grandfather called and said, hey, we, my mom ran away with me for about the first six months because mm -hmm. she was afraid that they would see that I was mixed. When she couldn't run anymore and she went back home, they seen that I was biracial. So they called the state and said, we're not taking care of a black baby. So I just think I dodged that bullet you know, I think that that quote was very, very appropriate. Um, even with my mom, mm -hmm. I think it, it you know, it, it matched her life as well. Yeah. When we, we talk about foster care, and I want my audience to understand some things about uh, adoption and foster care, as Cheryl stated earlier, because the family she was adopted into also fostered children, there's a difference. Adoption means that you were once in foster care and someone adopted you. They are your legal parents and guardians. When you're fostered, you could be with someone for two weeks, a day, a month, a couple of years. You're kind of transient in that. So um, I, I was on the National Council for Adoption. And in 2021, there were 54,240 children actually adopted. Um, for every child that is adopted, two children remain in waiting for adoption. Mm -hmm. So, but that's not even the big of it. So I said 54,000 were adopted. However, there are 391,000 children living in foster care right now. Wow. So that doesn't even put a dent in the children that have been left behind 
or I don't even want to say abandoned. There are children that have placed in those circumstances for a myriad of reasons. It yes. could have been a death. It could be abuse. It could be any numerous of things. Um, the Congressional Coalition of Adoption Institute said there is a three-year wait for adoption, even though there's 113,000 children and youth eligible for adoption. So when Cheryl speaks on this divine order in her life, it was truly divine because she could have been left behind uh, like so many children um, in the system who are left behind. I got a few more statistics I wanna throw out there. 55% uh, of children in foster care are uh, adopted by a relative, 29% were age nine years or older and the average age of adoption is six years old. For those who don't know, people who adopt, especially couples, they don't want older children or youth. And so Cheryl was adopted as uh, a baby, mm -hmm. which you know, that is ideal for people, but there are six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, those children that are the upper youth that they consider youth, that don't get adopted because people feel that they are too damaged to be turned around. Yes. And when they're not damaged, they need a home and they need a love. They need love. And love can heal a multitude of wounds. Yes. Um, of the families who adopted children from foster care, 68% were married couples, 25% were single females, 3% were single males, and 4% are unmarried couples. 93% of parents rely on adoption subsidies and or vital post-adoption services to help meet um, the needs of the children. Um, let me see. In 2021, 19,130 uh, Children aged out of foster care and a majority left without emotional and financial support necessary to succeed in life, which leads me to Cheryl's project, uh, her baby, the Shania Rose Community Development Incorporated. She founded this to improve the quality of life for foster children until they age out, providing them with resources and programs. Can you expound more about that? As we just heard these staggering statistics and a program such as yours is so needed. Yes, yes. So the Shania Rose, a nonprofit was birthed in 2017 when I met this little girl named Shania. Um, we thought it was my little brother's daughter it happened, ended up not being his daughter, but in my world, that doesn't matter. You know, blood and DNA, all that doesn't matter to us. But I, so I developed a relationship with this little girl as I helped her foster mom um, with assistance with her. I started to see some of the struggles that she was going through with the agency and the social workers and the resources. And I mean, it was just a lot of, issues and resources that weren't available for her at the time. And so I've always wanted to give back to the foster community. I just didn't know how. Um, so this gave me the idea to start a nonprofit and help the, the kids where and how I could. So we came up with the Shania Rose Community Development Corporation, where we provide resources for the kids 
uh, I work with some of the private agencies in Grand Rapids um, to help out where we can. So um, the last statistic that you just mentioned with the teenage kids aging out. So my next project is um, to develop a home um, to where they age out and they can take before they age out, they take credit classes, they take banking classes, life skill classes, um, give them a, an opportunity to have a place to stay, you know, for the first year and just assist them while they get on their feet and transition, you know, into the world. Because I, I say all the time, every child needs a person. If it's, I don't care if it's a teacher, a coach, an auntie, an uncle, somebody, a cousin, every child needs at least one person to care about them in order for them to have a shot at life, you know? And so my person was my mom and my family, but I, I want to be that person for more than one foster child. So that, that's, a, that's the reason uh, behind the nonprofit. And I'm super excited about it. We're working on a mentor, a, um, an aviation mentor program to open up the kids' eyes to aviation, the aviation world. My husband is a pilot, so we're working on a program to be able to, to show the kids that that career is possible. You can fly a plane. You can be a flight attendant. You can go further, you know, than you may be thinking at the time when you're in foster care. So I'm very excited to, to help them. Um, my adopted mother, she passed away in 2016, and I was able to make a promise to her on the last day she was here that I would help foster children um, on a way, way bigger scale. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to go through with that. So I'm excited. Yeah. You are carrying it out. I'm so excited. I think that is so uh, beautiful, as they say, to whom much is given, much is required. And um, you're honoring your your adoptive mom. You're, you're honoring your birth mother. And that's beautiful. I applaud you for that. Uh, my, my listeners out there, if you visit CherylGuyant.com, she has a section on her website where you can actually donate to the Shania Fund. So please, any anything helps. $5, $10, $20, $100, thousands of dollars. If you got it, go ahead and donate it. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. Um, so you met with this detective. He provided you with this letter. Your mother shared her story of uh, being raped, uh, acquiring sexual encounters and diseases at some point, violated, ran away, all these things. Um, and then she comes across Leonard Blake and Charles Ng, and um, they did some heinous things. Uh, Leonard Lake ended up killing himself by swallowing a cyanide pill. Uh, Charles Ng was able to get away for uh, many years, but he was apprehended in 1999 and placed on death row where he still awaits. You know, I, I want to mention in 1999, um, I was out in, in Northern California. I stayed out there with my sister and mm -hmm. I remember seeing him. That was a big thing on the news when, when he got caught. I remember 
him being in the jumpsuit and in shackles. I remember breaking news and, but I had no idea at the time that he killed my mother. That, I, I remember uh, your niece shared with me that when they were living in, in the Bay Area at the time, you come in a visit and you said you always kind of had like an eerie feeling. I had an energy um, with the Bay, with the San Francisco bridge. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was, it's a massive, beautiful bridge. And every time I would take a trip over that bridge, I would get an energy. And I remember my sister saying, what is it with you in this bridge? Because whenever she had to go over to the city, I would want to ride with her. Or I, my son and I would, would catch the train over there on Sundays. And it was something about San Francisco and that bridge that I felt connected to. And mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't know what it was. And lo and behold. And so years later, I find out that that's you know, where my mom was. And so next month, I'll actually be in that same county, um, Calaveras County, where it happened. I'll be speaking at a fundraising dinner for that sheriff's department that handled that case. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be speaking um, on behalf of of my mom and, and the victim impact. That's amazing. Do you wish, do you feel that he shouldn't have been able to be on death row this long. You know what? I don't, I don't really, I didn't really put a lot of energy or emotion into where he should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not to judge him. He's not, he's not running the streets. So I'm fine with that. I actually think killing him would make it easier on him. I mm-hmm. think sitting there, you know, knowing what he did and thinking about it every day, I think that's a better punishment. So. That's a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. So um, again, if you visit CherylGuyan.com, you'll see she uh, takes uh, motivational opportunities to keynote speak at events and organizations to raise awareness about not only her situation and her incredible story, but to motivate and inspire others. Um, she said that she aims to motivate and empower others. And as you can see, we don't have a victim sitting here before us. We have an empowered, <laughs> beautiful woman sharing her incredible story. Um, can you talk about how you got into People Magazine and you got into the Daily Mail and and how in other places you would like to speak at in, in order to share your story? And also, do you plan to turn your mother's story into that Lifetime movie? That, <laughs> that this could clearly be. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm working on a script now. So that that's in the making. Um, what was the, the, the first question? Um, how did you end up in People Magazine? How oh. did that come about? So I was in touch with a freelancer um, that we were discussing me possibly doing her podcast. And she was starting a... Um, a women's uh, clothing line, but she also was a, she, she's also a freelancer for People Magazine. So maybe like a year before I released my book, you know, I was, I mean, a year, I released the book. It took about a year before I made it to the magazine, but she submitted the story. 
um, people wanted to pick it up. Um, so they did. I was very surprised. And then once that happened, the U.S. Daily picked it up. Um, I was the Australian um, That's It magazine um, out in New Zealand picked the story up. So it just kind of went viral, mm -hmm. which was a which was a good thing. So right now I am working on um, the script mm -hmm. as well as um, my target market for speaking is um, I want to speak to the social workers yeah. um, that's leaving college, you know, and letting them know, sharing my story and my mom's story and letting them know the impact that they have on these stories and kind of just preparing them for what they're going out into the world to face. Oh, I love that. I think that that is a perfect demographic for you to target yeah. because it'll help them have a little bit more compassion. I yeah. think sometimes social workers, they initially get into the field because they want to have an air of compassion. But as you get through so many and so many, that heart can grow a little cold. Yeah. Yeah. And so that you're able to show them the other side of that. You under, you're able to say, hey, when you go into these houses, don't just pull out that clipboard and be so right. cold. You right. know, be a little bit more uh, humane, more right. lead with love. Let them know that it's going to be okay because yes. you're the other side of that. You've mm -hmm. seen it from the ground floor. And yes. I think that's just absolutely amazing, Cheryl. I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to share your story with me and my, and my audience and my listeners. I thank you for writing this book. I thank you for having the resilience to follow through with it you know if someone could have got that letter and, and you know just held it close to the vest or close to the heart and you know yeah. and that would have been enough for them but you said not only do i i need this peace of mind for myself and this closure for me i want some other child in the system to get the closure that i had to let them know mm -hmm. that they can accomplish any goal that they set before themselves whether it be college you stated aviation, being a pilot, mm -hmm. being a nurse, uh, whatever it is that they want to be, they don't have to be weighed down by the shackles right. of, of their circumstances. Right. So I thank you for that. I, I thank you for that. I My heart goes out to you. My heart goes out to Sherry. Uh, another incredible fact that people might not know is that your adoptive mother and your birth mother share a same birthday. Mm-hmm. Divine yep. intervention. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, your mother is so beautiful. I mean, she's beautiful. You look, I I just want people go out and get this book, A Letter to Sherry. <laughs> you can buy it on Amazon. You can visit CherylGuyan.com and buy it on her website. And before we get out of here, Cheryl, is there if you if you could say something to your mom because she's gonna hear it in the heavens. What would you like to say to your mom today in 2023? I would say to both of my moms that I hope you can see and hear me and I'm coming through with every promise that I've made. Oh, I love it. And in true Tanae Talks fashion, you got to give a shout out. So who are you giving a shout out to today? I'm giving a shout out to my husband who has been supporting me through all of this. I mean, he has really been a great backbone since I lost my adopted mom. He's kind of came in and, and just picked me up and helped me so much through that. 
Um, shout out to all of my family, the Lowe's. I love you guys. You have loved and protected me my entire life, and I know they will continue to do so. And, um, and shout out to you for having me today, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank See, I got you. my mama shirt on. Period. <laughs> Period. <laughs> shout out to all the mamas out there. They got to make yes. difficult decisions when yes. they thrown up against the wall. Because yes. it's no job on earth like being a mama from a mother right. to a mother. We get it. It and kids don't come with instructions and always just ask yourself, whose person are you? Be the child's person. Be the child's person. And then on that note, we can close it out. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. This is Tanae Talks, the podcast that educates and entertains where you come to laugh and learn. Hopefully, Cheryl's story inspired you. Hopefully, you got a smile in your heart today, some inspiration, some motivation, determination, all of that. So till next time. Bye. Bye.